people would always tell me I should move to L.A., out of Chicago. I had so many friends that moved to New York, and I really do think I needed to go there to feel like, oh, okay, I can live in L.A. because I would have been moving to L.A., no agents, no managers, nothing. And I think that would have been really, really difficult for me. Um, I also lost like 25 pounds when I lived in New York. And so L.A. was much happier to have me. Like if I had been coming fresh from Chicago, they would have been like, there's some changes we need to see made as a city. They would have told me that. Um, so I am so happy I went to New York and I became a much better comedian living there and I really struggled there and I think in some ways that's very valuable. But you got an agent while you were there. I got an agent and manager when I was in Montreal, but I got Montreal in New York and I don't think I would have had the same sort of like success in L.A. Welcome to the Underground Comedy Podcast with Sean Joyce. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com. Hey, what's up? Thanks for checking us out. This weekend, we got DC's Best Showcase at Big Hunt. Stavros Halkius and Rollo Boykins will be closing out the show. Stav will be there on Friday. Stav just headlined Underground Comedy Fest and will be back working on some new jokes. And then on uh, Saturday, we'll have Rollo coming down. Rollo will be recording his debut comedy album at big hunt so if you want to see what that's like see somebody record their first album should be a good time rollo's one of the funniest guys that's come out of dc so totally worthwhile we also have mo mandel at dc draft house if you're looking for a non-dive bar type of experience mo will be over there he's from uh, chelsea lately and a bunch of other stuff you can get tickets and information about all those shows at the website this episode, we're going to be talking to Megan Gailey. Megan's a very funny comic who lives in Los Angeles. She has worked for the NFL Network. She's on a national Blue Diamond Almond commercial. She's got a half hour on Comedy Central. We talk about all that stuff, plus what it was like writing her pilot for ABC. It's, uh, it's a good talk, so check it out. Is there a theme song? There is a theme song. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh, a song by Ben Kronberg. It's okay. one of his songs from his album that he put out. And he knows you're using it. Yes, he knows okay. I'm using it. I sent him a Facebook message and I and that's asked, all it took. That's all it took. Wow. Me ben, and, come on. We're good buddies, me and Ben. And so I think, you I know. I thought you were saying you and me. And I was like, we're I good buddies that. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We if, you had a, if you made a song and I and I was like, can I make this the theme song of my podcast? You would say I yes. I would say right? yes. And I do make songs. You do make songs? They're not released, but I make okay. them in my home. I put my fiance's name in every song going on. That's cute. Yeah, thank you. Well, you can, uh, you know, if you want to send me some stuff, if okay. it's better than Ben, then I'll just replace it okay. and I'll just start Good. using now yours. This is a challenge that I may have to meet. Yeah, so you've been doing stand-up for like how long would you say at this point? Um, ten over ten years. Wow, over ten years. Yeah. How about that? And uh, under eleven. I didn't. I guess over ten could mean twenty. Over ten, under eleven. Yeah, yeah. That's how I took it to mean. And uh, you started in Chicago. I mean, I guess technically I started in Indianapolis. That's okay. the first place I ever did an open mic at the Broad Ripple Crackers, which is now no longer. Okay. Um, which does make you feel old when the yeah. place you first performed closes. Yeah. The yeah the place I first performed closed about a month after I 
first performed. Oh, okay. It but was closed it com- almost immediately. Was it a comedy club? No, it was See, a bar. See, like a comedy club is like harder to, a bar. Sure, yeah, yeah. There's not uh, as many comedy clubs yet. Yeah, yeah and so when a comedy yet. club closes, that was your quote unquote home club. You're like, oh, do I have to quit now? Like you don't, you feel lost a little bit. Well, you get to just pick a better home club. Yeah. And then I think I did. And then I think that closed too. Because there was a club in Chicago I loved. Now and closed. do you feel like it's is it related to you at all? Do you think, or is this just completely independent? Maybe like one percent. I don't. Slightly, I can't just a take bit. most of the blame. Right. Um, I could, you know, off air probably give ten reasons why the Broad Ripple Crackers closed, and you probably already know what they are. Um, the name, first of all, it's confusing. Well, there's still one open. I don't even know what words you're saying when you say that. Crackers. Before that. The broad, broad Ripple. Broad Ripple. Oh, yeah. That's like the um, the neighborhood. That? What's that mean? Oh, that's... So it's D.C. Draft House, Arlington Draft House. And Broad Ripple is a place. Broad Ripple is a place. That I've never heard of before. Really? Yeah. It's um, it's it, like the Wrigleyville of Indianapolis. I see. Yeah. So I've bad. Never, I've never heard of any neighborhoods in Indianapolis. Wow. At Carmel? All. No. Damn. Does people know these things? Yeah. Sometimes people will come up to me and they're like, Carmel? And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I'm not from there, but I would say, you know, you know, if you say I'm from Indianapolis, I would say I was in Kansas City a, a few yeah, times. Yeah, that does. I get a lot of like, oh, my cousin lives in Iowa. Yeah, like I, I've been to Kansas City, and so like, I, yep. I, I get the gist of it. You know, <sighs> sadly, I, I think saying. there is some truth to that. And then you went to Chicago, and then I moved to Chicago three or four months later. It's the magnet of the whole Midwest for entertainment. Yeah. I think I moved there. To do stand-up, but then also to do improv. Is that right? Yeah. You, do you do improv anymore? No, no. How long did you do improv? I did it. I like went through a full training program uh-huh. and then did it for probably two, maybe two years after that. So at least oh, three time. or four years. Yeah, yeah. But I kept it very quiet. Do you think that it helped you? I do. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that it, it wouldn't help you perform better. No, and that's what sort of like when people will ask, like, should I do? It's like anything where you're on stage will help you. I think it's probably it helps. There were a lot of in my first level class, regular people that were like, I get nervous at work talking. Like right. there's people working out yeah. all sorts. It's not all I want to be on SNL. Sure. Thank God. Of course. Um, there's some moms there. There's some retired. It's nice to have some moms. Military. There's. It's like a really wide range. That does of sound like people. a nice mix. Yeah, I actually liked the first levels more because then those people are like, okay, I got what I needed. They're okay. weeded out, and then you're just with people that are like, I'm the funniest person from Champaign, Illinois. Okay, they were too uh, annoying. Yeah, it's just a. It's a lot of. I remember before I moved to Chicago, I was like, it's so intimidating. Sure. They have a Nike store. We used to go visit when I was a kid. And it was like, oh, my God. this!" I remember watching my dad drive in Chicago. And I was like, he is a superhero. Like, this is the craziest place I've ever been. Yeah, yeah. And my brothers lived there already. My parents had lived there when I was moving there. And my brother was like, it's just people from Midwestern towns that yeah. think they're the coolest in their town. That's right. And so it's actually like the worst collection of people. It's the coolest collection of people. Yeah. I mean, you could have stayed in Indianapolis, I guess. Yeah, but Indianapolis, like Cleveland, um, like Detroit, like Milwaukee, has this sort of air of inferiority of that is very humbling. And Chicago is like, we are the greatest on earth. We are better than Rome. 
Yeah, that's it. That is how it is. I mean, I don't know how you can have a, I don't know how you can think you're better than New York if you're in Chicago. It's kind of hard. It's cleaner. It's kind of hard to make that argument. Yeah. So is DC. How long were you in Chicago? I lived in Chicago for five and a half years. Five and a half years. So yeah. pretty long time. Yeah. And then you decided to move to New York. Mm -hmm. And then how long were you in New York? Less than two. <laughs> I got in and got out. So what, how was it when you first got there? Horrible. That's what everyone says, right? Um, That's the experience. I had, yeah. And, you know, it was really tricky. And I feel comfortable talking about this now. Um, mm. I I shared a bed for six months with a fellow comedian, Lisa Traker. Okay, sure. Non-sexually. Okay, just, sure. Just that's like New York real estate. You know, mm -hmm. you will share a full-size bed with another full-size adult. Yeah. And I was really going through, I I just was, I was not able to hit the ground running as as much as I wanted to. And looking back, I did really great. And yeah. it was really fine. Nobody really hits the ground running. But Lisa did. And so it was it was very difficult to did be Did she move at the same time as you? Yeah, we oh we packed up my Saturn and we moved together. Oh, you went together, okay. And it was like I think if I had been on my own, I would have had less fun and all this stuff, but I would have been like, Oh, I'm doing okay, but I yeah. had this oh, good friend who I'm living with. Yeah. Um doing like the best anyone ever yeah. could do moving there. And yeah. so it was really hard and it was hard to not have personal space. Like if I wanted to cry, I would go to my car and sit there and yeah, cry in yeah. my car. Um, but I was nannying and I loved my nannying job. I really loved the New York comedy scene. Like I started to get my feet underneath me and then I knew I was moving and that's kind of when I started to like it. What and why did you decide to move to LA? Gosh, if I'm being perfectly honest, I was in a relationship and okay. it, and I and I knew it was going to take us like being across the country from each other to to break it up. And it needed Oh, to be, you moved to get out of a relationship. I moved to get out of a relationship wow. that was like a, you know, a perfectly wonderful guy. Uh -huh. Um but I was like we're going to keep defaulting back into this yeah. relationship because we had broken up like two or three times. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can say pilot season, but like, did I book a pilot? No. So yeah, it was, yeah. it was basically to just give myself a kind of like fresh start. Well, that's good though. I think that's a healthy thing. And, uh, I think it's interesting, you know, they're, they're so different. The, um, how things are in New York and LA stand up wise and, yeah. you know, career wise. And I think, it's uh, one is better for some people and mm -hmm. one's better for other people. And I think it's hard to know, you know, where what's going to work out best for you yeah. until you kind of try it out. Yeah. And and people would seek advice. People do this of me now, like, you know, in Chicago or they're living in Indianapolis or Bloomington. And they're like, where do you think I should move? Yeah. And people would always tell me I should move to L.A. Mm -hmm. out of Chicago. I had so many friends that moved to New York yeah. and I really do think I needed to go there mm -hmm. to feel like, oh, okay, I can live in LA because I would have been moving to LA, no agents, no managers, yeah. nothing. And I think that would have been really, really difficult for me. Um, I also lost like 25 pounds when I lived in New York. And so mm -hmm. LA was much happier to have me. Like yeah. if I had been coming fresh from Chicago, they would have been like, there's some changes we need to see made yeah, as a city. Yeah. They would have told me that. Um, so I am so happy I went to New York and I became a much better comedian living yeah. there. 
and I really struggled there. And I think in some ways that's very valuable. But you got an agent while you were there. I got an agent and manager when I was in Montreal, but I got Montreal in New York. And I don't think I would have had the same sort of like success in L.A. Yeah, I think that there's a better kind of infrastructure for comedians who don't have managers and agents in New York and uh just there's a little bit more availability of stage time and kind of being able to get in the mix up there um even though it's kind of a more hellacious life Mm -hmm. that you live off stage being there so I think you can have a nicer life in LA definitely but I think it's harder if you don't have traction yes. yet out there. It, yeah. People really get lost out there. Because it's even hard. I remember when I moved to L.A. and people were like, well, you have an agent and a manager and a TV credit. You'll be fine. And it's like everyone there has that. Yeah, like, it's, that's yeah, not yeah. the reality. Like no. you'll do shows in L.A. that the whole lineup is stacked and you're like, I'm the weakest link, the biggest loser here. Yeah, yeah. There's stars. Mm-hmm. And then there's no one there. And no crowd. There's no crowd. Okay. And and that's just kind of. And you're talking about like a showcase bar type yeah, of show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll do, you know, like people that are my favorite comedians who I like idolize. Right, right. You're on shows with them, and yeah. and there's not crowds coming out. Yeah. Do you do clubs out there? I do. Um, you know, I did Laugh Factory like a fair amount. They honestly like switch over bookers a lot, so then you sort of have to like re get in. Yeah, yeah. With that, mm-hmm. whoever the new booker is. Um, I do the improv like a pretty good amount mm-hmm. and and that's it. I don't do the store. I mean, I'll do showcases at the store, but I'm not like a paid regular mm-hmm. there. And I don't really have the wherewithal to be like, I'm going to like sit here every night. I'm not doing, you know, it's like yeah. I have shit to do. I'm doing shows. I'm not like that thirsty mm-hmm. for this. So where you are right now, if you could live in New York or L.A., just in terms of stand-up, do you think you would enjoy doing stand-up in New York more? Yeah, I'm going to New York next week, and it really is like you get to do a bunch of shows. There are crowds, and you really get to like work on stuff yeah. and feel like a stand-up. Right. But it, I would prefer L.A. as it, a human. As a human, Not right. as a stand-up. Yeah, yeah. it's just but a as, nice place to live. As yeah. a writer, as a everything, you just... I also think there's more work in L.A. Definitely. Um, for like people are like, I only I want to go to L.A. once I have a job. And it's like you'll come to L.A. and get a job like mm-hmm. there are jobs. My fiance was a head writer of a K-pop talk show. Like, have I ever seen it? No. But he's like, yeah, it was my favorite job I've ever had. Like okay. there are just sort of like weird niche. Not that K-pop is niche. Most um, of them are K-pop most related. Of them are K-pop, but but like I've done I did a talking head show for like MTV2 that never aired that paid my rent for like six months. And yeah. you're like, yeah, no one saw it, but I lived off of it. Yeah. And what are, what's uh, what are you working on now? Um, I mean, I just got very bad news that ABC did not pick up my pilot. Um, wow, so you did a pilot for ABC. I, yeah, I sold a show to ABC are back you- in August. That was about you? It was about my life. Wow. Um, and wrote it. And it was great. It was a really actually wonderful process start to finish. There was nothing I would change about it. Uh-huh. I loved the script. I loved everyone that we worked with. I feel like I learned a lot. Uh-huh. And we came down to, you know, the last pickups and we were the last one out. Um, and it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. But... 
I think there's like hope for us to sell the script right. elsewhere. Right. It's just I knew nothing going into the process, right. and now I'm like, oh, I know so much yeah, more. Yeah, exactly. And people are like, sometimes that first experience can be such a nightmare that mm -hmm. to like come out of it and feel positive at all, you gotta. Yeah. Take How long away. was that whole process for? Gosh, so I created it with another guy. Um, it was about you've heard my stories about my grandmother with Alzheimer's. Her and I mm -hmm. shared a bedroom for a while. And oh, so it okay. was about an adult granddaughter and mm -hmm. grandmother with Alzheimer's sharing a bedroom in the sort of sandwich generation household of the generation in between. Yes, them. yes, yes. Um and so I created it with another guy whose grandfather had Alzheimer's. And we met probably over a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. So it, you know, it almost took two years yeah. from inception to <laughs> no, yeah, to death. It's crazy. It's so, it's so much work. It's such a long road and it's, and it's all like a yes or no mm -hmm. thing. I, I don't know. I, it's uh, psychologically got to be so difficult to push yourself through all that and yeah. then know that, you know, it's 50, 50 at the end. Yeah, and like maybe it gets not even yeah. everything. Every the the percentages just go down and down and down because it's like even if it would have gotten picked up this time, we make it. Then you're that much closer to like an even sadder no. You yeah, know, like right. of course I would have loved to make it. I wouldn't right. have been like no. If it's gonna be a no at the end of the day, I don't want to do it. I would have loved to like see it. Be yeah, because you would learn even more. Yes. You know, the further you go, the yeah, the more you yeah. learn. You know. Um, but I think a lot of the benefit to stand up is like okay it ended and that's sort of what I was really pouring a lot of my creativity into over the last few you know year plus and now I'm like okay well now I do stand up again right. like I still and that's not a fallback it's like I I just had to shift sure what I was able to focus on and sure. now I get to focus on this again did you do any acting out there yeah, I mean, I mean, I audition, um, but I was I was going to play myself in the show. Sure. Um, and then it's crazy because you get like I had to go audition for a different ABC show that did get picked up less than 24 hours after I found out mine did not get picked up. Yeah. And I guess the beauty and curse of what this business is, is like you really don't have a lot of time. To, to think about it yeah yeah i got like really drunk that night and then i was like yeah i have to go audition right um i think stand-up gets you ready for that too because yeah. you know you're really used to bouncing back in stand-up because it's just you have a terrible night and there's nothing yeah. for you to do but just go back on stage yeah, you again. almost like crave it like yeah like, yeah oh i gotta get this taste out yeah of my yeah mouth. yeah yeah it's the only way to feel better yeah. is to like succeed on stage so and in this type of thing you know everyone i have a very i have very supportive like people on my team my fiance is very supportive my family was so supportive of it right. the studio everybody and so when you do kind of like pick yourself up they're like wow we're really proud of you and it's yeah like, it's no, this a, is just what i have to do no but it is an amazing accomplishment to get to that point that's there are not very many people who are able to make a pilot that's about their life that's kind of you know the dream of a lot of stand-ups is you think like well i'm an interesting person and like i want to tell the story like you know my own personal story and i'm gonna be in it i'm gonna write it and you know you made that and you have a chance to still you know yeah. go out and sell it but even most people don't even get the chance to write it down i know it really is 
you you do have to like look at those things especially for a network too yeah let alone you know you know trying to make it for you know a smaller cable network or as like a web series or something even even making it as a web series is an amazing accomplishment yeah there's when we um found out you know there was a lot of like we hope and we believe that we can take this someplace else right. and whether that happens or not it's just nice to be like it's not dead dead it's yeah. kind of you almost like need this glimmer of hope right as a bridge to eventually selling it and making it or just a bridge to be like let me get to what's next i mean it's an it is uh an interesting it's an interesting uh concept because i don't think that there's there's been a, a sitcom that deals with all, Alzheimer's. No, because it's not funny. No, <laughs> and it's so not. it's, it's really, brutal, yeah. and it's interesting because when you go around and when we were pitching to production companies, they were like, you know, we had a show very similar to this. So there, there have been ones in development, they tried, yeah. but they've all gotten to sort of this stage. Were you able to make it? I mean, did you have trouble making it funny? L- having lived through how hard it is? I, I don't think we we did um just because my experience with my grandmother was so positive even though she was going through a terrible disease yeah in a lot of ways and you know she's now passed but she would have said this at the time she was like this is the happiest i've ever been in my life because i'm surrounded by my family she had a really 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 difficult life yeah and so I remember we would like drive into my parents' neighborhood and there's a sign that says, welcome home. And she was like, that's so nice. Who lives here? And we were like, you do. And she was like, wow. Like yeah, she yeah. was so happy to be yeah. in this place. And they got her on antidepressants for the first time in her life. Yeah. And she actually was in a good space despite having this degenerative neurological right. disease. Well, it's interesting to think about that. Like that idea of like, well, what if you could, uh, if you can just wake up and not realize what your life is, right? And then you find out what your life is, you know, think about how much you would appreciate what you have. If you were starting from scratch and you had no idea who you were or, you know, who your family was, who your friends are, what your job is, and then you find out what it is, you're like, wow, this is very good. This is great. Yeah. This is great. It could have been anything. And, I'm surrounded by wonderful people. I mm-hmm. have these great experiences. I've lived a great life. I, you know, you, you, for, you don't, yeah. you know, you don't remember that, but once you, when you are hit with that knowledge, you can really, you could really appreciate it. I think it's like really hard all the time to constantly, I think about this all the time is trying to appreciate the situation that I'm in compared to everyone throughout history like how hard things have been through history how hard things are in other parts of the world and other parts of the country and other parts of the city and it's hard to appreciate because you're in it every day you feel it feels the same you're frustrated with whatever dumb shit is going on but you never the, it's really hard to take yourself out of it yeah so that oh is yeah sweet... i mean even when i'm stressed in la it's like i still live in a really really beautiful place and I think part of the reason why I was so passionate about doing this story was because my family's experience with it brought us closer in a very positive way. Uh And that was something that I felt was important to share with the world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is like there are so many people that deal with that. 
and I, I think it, you know, would mean a lot to all those people to see it. So, you know, hopefully, <laughs> uh, hopefully like people will, will get to see it. But yeah, it, I mean, it is a, it is a heavy <laughs> uh, subject, but it's, you know, it's, yeah. that's how it's reality. Yeah, it was, um, it was great. I really only have like, even last night I was like talking to a friend and I was high and drunk and I, w- and he had just found out that, that he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I really only have positive takeaways from it. And yeah, that's but- like. Uh, you know, I could have someone could have touched me. Like a lot of bad things could have sure. happened along yeah, the way. Yeah, but and you also you weren't in LA for very long at all to get that opportunity. That's an enormous opportunity. I know people that moved to LA before you and are still trying to get a manager. Yeah, you know they're still trying to get on those yeah. good shows and everything, or even just a writing job. So you're still really succeeding at a high level. Um, even, even with that setback, I was just, I was talking to my dad about, uh, how like backup quarterbacks, how, how people view them. And it's like, they, everyone's like, oh, you're, or, or like a failed starting quarterback. It's like, oh, you're, you're bad at football. It's like, no, I'm like the 40th best person in the world world, ever. Yeah. Well, not ever, but like right now Yeah, in the world of all the people in the world that I'm the 40th best in any other field. I would be, you know, and I still am rich. You know, you yeah. are rich from that. You would be rich and you'd be successful. But people, it's hard to get past that that mental, I don't even know, because I think everyone automatically feels that way. But they look at it, they're like, well, you didn't succeed. It's like, no, I am I am still succeeding at a very high level. I always wonder how backup quarterbacks, quarterbacks like of this like sort of caliber that we're talking about that have struggles, how they interact with each other um and i like heard an interview with steve young once and he was like sometimes as an nfl quarterback you honestly one day it just clicks and you figure it out Mm -hmm. and sometimes that happens after people have stopped giving you chances and Uh then you're just at home being like now i could know how to do it but like no one wants you to do it anymore yeah yeah and that would be (laughs) horrible but i'm you know i'm sure busts especially you know like a ryan leaf or a greg odin they there must be a fraternity of them in a way where yeah, they're like, right hey i have experienced what you've experienced and the public right. shits on me and i'm a punchline but like i know you're a human and you know i'm a human right who just messed up a game like right, that's yeah. all we did yeah they they just they just didn't succeed enough and they're kind of put in that category forever whereas they no one else got anywhere close to it or like a you know a regular starting quarterback for a high school team that was like not good enough to be a quarterback on a college team and then they become a business manager or whatever and they're living their life and then looking down on these guys that are elite athletes uh it's just it's like a very it's a weird thing no it is definitely it's a tough that's i think that's the nature of of trying to really go for it when you're going to be in the public eye. You put yourself out there. Yeah. And whenever people, you know, talk about how much actors or athletes are paid, it's like, yeah, but they took the biggest gamble Absolutely. and the biggest risk. So they're not being paid for this individual job. They're being paid for the fact that they like put themselves in a position to be shit on for the rest of their lives. And like, and it's, it's a very small window yes. during which they get to get paid. They get paid a lot of money, but it's for a limited amount of time. And even if you're a star, once you retire, there's only like 
a handful of people that continue to make money after they're retired. Everyone else, people forget about them. Yeah. They they're kind of in the in the public eye for a couple of years, five years maybe. But then it's that's it. The hope is to be for athletes to be on television or to coach. And how many are on television? Very few. Like and it's 10, really, really 15. hard to get those jobs. Well, yeah, that's a whole different skill. You have yeah. to have a totally different ability to be able to communicate and understand uh, what's going on. That's that's just completely different than being a high-level athlete. Yeah. So, well, do you want to talk about your NFL experience? Yeah, I mean, it's so... Uh, it I didn't really even is... mean to bring up the NFL. Oh, no, no, I just... no. <laughs> I'll, I'm always happy to talk about it. Um, so you... It was another place that I had a really wonderful experience. I learned a lot. Like, I thought I was going to go in there and just kind of be myself and be silly and then comment on games and and, and what it, happened you got an you just got an audition no so my fiance worked there last year okay. um he for he, nfl network uh for the league actually. just for the league okay yeah and so a couple people from the nfl like while he was there would come and see me at shows and so when it came time for them to cast this twitter show they were like we want you i think they wanted a comedian and they talked to a few and mm -hmm. you know i ended up getting it and it was very much under the pretense of like come be yourself be silly whatever uh -huh. and then as it went on it evolved into oh i am i'm calling play like i'm doing post-game play calling analysis yes and i had never done that i'm obviously a huge sports fan uh -huh. i was a sports broadcasting major but you're it's so oh, different. i didn't know that yeah <laughs> it's so different to then be like i'm sitting here next to a super bowl winning Packers player uh -huh. and I'm the boss like uh -huh. I have the earpiece and we are going through this together and it's hard it's really hard yeah. and they and I was bad and I got better and you know you're like uh, hopefully now I'm medium this is all on Twitter all on Twitter yeah okay <laughs> and it was live on Twitter live no commercials and who and were you you're with one other football player yeah I my main co-host was this guy named James Jones yeah um, Packers wide, wide receiver, receiver. Yeah. It's the best so nice I love him he is like so smart cool 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 guy um I hosted it a few times with Terrell Davis uh -huh. Super Running Bowl back. MVP um I hosted it with Dwight Freeney who is my lifelong like hero sure. hero uh, my parents dog is named after him I named him like wow, we cool. are obsessed with him um, and then I hosted with a guy named Will Blackman who was on the Redskins for a while. Yeah. Did um, you tell him that you named your dog after him? Oh, he knows a lot. Because <laughs> like, okay. I saw him in the hallway before I had ever met him or knew that we could ever host a show together. Uh -huh. And I didn't know he was going to be working at the network. He was kind of like a last minute hire yeah. um, in the season. So I walked in. We're in this tiny hallway that's only for like on-air talent basically okay and i see him and i immediately started crying really and he like <laughs> went to walk through a door getting out of the hallway not running away from me just going about his business and i go hi which i never do like if i see famous people i turn and run away sure, because yeah. I'm like they don't want to be bothered right but i had like a fight or flight and i just was like hi and like ray i was like you are my hero like <laughs> i don't know how to tell you how much you mean to me pulled up pictures of the dog immediately i mean wow, wow. if if i could have planned it i would have behaved differently yeah that's embarrassing um, but that's what he got. And then <laughs> like a week later, James was going to be out of town. He was being inducted into his college hall of fame. Uh -huh. And they were like, we asked Dwight to host the show with you. And he said, yes. 
And I was like, does he know it's me? Like that girl that accosted him. And they were like, oh, yeah. And then when I saw him, I was like, I don't think he knew it was me. But he said he was like, I only agreed to do it because it was you. And I'm like, I think you're lying. But that's such a sweet thing to do. That's cool. That's really cool. Do you so working in sports? Do you think that's something that you would want to do and continue to do? Absolutely, yeah. Is that what you wanted to do originally? Yeah. When I was in college, I was like, I want to be a sideline girl. Right. And it's kind of great. My dad would always be like, you know, if worse comes worse, you can always go back to that. Right. And um, it is crazy because I feel like I've cut the line in a lot of ways. Like if I had Mm -hmm. graduated and gone right to a small Topeka, Kansas and then a sports girl. Right. right. I would not 10 years later be at the NFL network. Like I would be in Cleveland. Yeah. Right. Uh, so doing comedy, but then making it known that I love sports. I've written for the ESPYs for the last two years. Mm -hmm. I kind of get every sporty girl job or I'm at least in the conversation and it is nice because I have much more freedom to talk as myself than I think they allow female reporters mm-hmm. who go the traditional yeah, route. Yeah, because you're kind of a separate I'm there entity. as like a personality, yeah, yeah, you're a personality instead exactly. of a facilitator of a conversation. Yeah, instead of just an employee that's yeah. doing that specific task. That's pretty cool, though. That's pretty cool to, you know, be able to link back up with that, yeah. with that other passion and then, you know get to do get to meet those people and that's like uh that's like a one of the coolest parts uh, of doing stand-up is getting put in those positions to do stuff like that and it's something that like really matters to me like sure i think other you know there would be broncos fans would be like you met terrell day like there were other male comedians that were excited but like this is my like dream come true and it's also one of those jobs too sometimes in stand-up or just like in what we do people will get stuff and everyone's like i wish i got that and when i got it people were like we are genuinely happy for you because we don't nobody do else that, was thinking about that yeah nobody was competing to get that no, job no one was it, like that's a job like yeah everyone yeah was like, oh yeah let m- that crazy girl have it that's cool um and it was yeah i got i hosted an hour-long live show at the super bowl and like there's I if you would have told me that would ever happen in my life, I would have been like, I I don't think that that's even a yeah. possibility. And what did you feel? Have you felt like these are like male dominated places, obviously the NFL and stand up comedy to a certain extent? I don't know what the going through the ABC process was like. ABC is like w- women. OK, it's like so all women. And then we had uh, a network exec who very cool gay man. <laughs> so it's like pretty Female. Do you feel like everybody was cool to you throughout yes. all these processes? Yeah. I also think that, you know, it's tough because I don't even think I present myself this way anymore, but I'm, people approach me as like, you're like a guy's gal. And it's like, yeah. I'm like a pretty intense feminist who happens to like sports. So they perceive me as that. Um, and I think in some ways that it shouldn't, but they treat me differently. Mm-hmm. Um but I think doing stand-up definitely helped me be in the male-dominated NFL. Right. Especially because you're sitting in rooms with big-time athletes mm-hmm. and you have to like act appropriately and not do anything weird. They have to not do anything weird. Sure. Like There is HR at the NFL, where in stand-up, there's not. 
So it yeah. almost was like, oh, yeah, I'm like way safer here than. Did you feel that way? I felt very protected there. I really did. And I don't know if some of that is because I was very much an outsider. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows each other. I was like, I would be in hair and makeup and you would see people be like, who the fuck is this? Right. Um, and so I felt like maybe the people who worked on my show very much like protected me. Yeah. But I also think if you players, people that work there, if you make it to that level of working there, you've got skills and you've got professionalism. Sure. Are there are there bad ducks in the NFL? Yeah, and the ducks are really <laughs> bad. Right? <laughs> but you meet these players and you almost feel like sad and fucked up about it because you're like, these guys are really, really top-notch, great guys. Yeah. Um, and the perception is what it is because it's deserved, but it's not deserved across the board. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Did you feel like there were place, there were times in comedy where you didn't feel safe? I think, yes, definitely. Um, but a, but never at the hands of like a group. Only ever individual. like this individual yeah. is a shit bag. Right. But I've had guys in Chicago, New York, and LA, and on the road go to bat for me physically, mm-hmm. um, yell at people. Like I have always felt very, very protected. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that that is not everybody's situation. Yeah. And some of that is too, when I don't feel protected, I'm very willing to be like, you need to walk me to my car. You need to do this. Yeah, like, yeah. and I'll tell like places before, like if something happens to me, you close. So yeah, yeah. why don't you think of me as like, an entity that you have to protect and not just like a girl you can send out into the world. Yeah. 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 And I think the climate has helped change that too. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think it's better now? I do. But I think a lot of that is like a lot of us are just more vocal um, and have sort of forcibly changed it. I think there's still issues. There's also places that I just wouldn't go now. There's situations I would not put myself in. Mm hmm. And I have that. You got the luxury. I have that luxury now. And I didn't have that luxury. And I would put myself in very bad situations when I was starting out. I mean, it's almost expected of you to put yourself. I mean, everyone has to put themselves in a bad situation comedy wise. Yeah. You know, when you you got to take what you can get when you're early on. But dudes don't have to put themselves in a bad situation, you know, safety wise. Whereas women have to make that choice and that's really to my personal biggest difference like when people are like what's it like being a female comedian i'm like it's fucking awesome like Mm -hmm. i love being a woman so now i'm just being a woman doing something i love to do Mm -hmm. but safety wise it's a nightmare you know it's a nightmare to just be a woman traveling in the world if you are in sales it's it's just it's scarier to be a woman alone traveling in the world absolutely there's every statistic in the world backs that up And I think in a lot of ways we have to start like being more sensitive and aware of that. And we're starting to catch up. Right. But it's taken a long time. Absolutely. Yeah. And I I know there's still female comics will ask me like they're telling me I'm going to stay in this condo. And I'm like, no, you tell them you're not staying with men. You don't know. Like that's a fucking basic human instinct for men or women. Right. 
it's okay to go, no, I'm not going to stay a place. I don't know. I'm not going to drive a place that's unsafe. I'm not going to drive a headliner someplace. I don't know if he has a reputation of being shitty. Like, and it's so hard when you're starting out, when yeah. you're early on, you have no leverage. And like, you can, you know, if you say you don't want to do something, Booker can just be like, well, okay, then yeah. you're done and yeah. I'll get someone else who will do it. And it, it's tough. It's really tough. I was really in tough. a very, very unsafe, terrible situation um, a year and a half ago. And had I not had female managers, mm -hmm. I really don't know what would have happened. Yeah. Because I was like keeping a record of what was going on. And then one of them FaceTimed me. And when she saw me, she was like, oh, nope. Pull the plug. Like right, this right. is fucking done. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of that is like, a woman just sees a woman and knows when they're in distress. Right, yeah, of course. Um, and so I do think it's a huge benefit yeah. to try and surround yourself with as many women as possible because yeah. I have males on my team that are like, you're a tough broad. And it's like, yeah, I they just am. don't understand the same way. It's different. Yeah, they just can't. They just can't. Because they, they, it's, there's so many things that you're going through all the time that you know men are just completely unaware of they yeah. just don't even know that it's happening and it, yeah so it's not even coming from a malicious right. place but it's just like oh i didn't know uh, this light being on meant there's a murderer like there's just we just know all this weird shit we wish we didn't yeah well i was talking to joe firestone and she said you know i feel like i have to look kind of fuckable to go on stage uh -huh. and i was like I've never thought that in my life. I've never thought about what I looked like before I went on stage. Like, it, I, I just, whatever I'm wearing, I go up on stage that way. Like, there's so many things that are just different. Yeah. That it's it's not, did you, do you feel like it's different when you're performing? Yeah, but like, I, I very early on had a headliner criticize how I was dressed okay. and made me change how I was dressing okay. while I was opening for him. And it really upset me so much that I became very, I think for a bit, I was like, oh, okay, he's right. I need to look a certain right. way. And he was actually telling me to dress down. Like he was like, I think you're, yeah. you're dressing too nicely too, yeah uh -huh. and now it's just like i wear whatever I, this is if i was going out tonight this is what i would be right in, right within reason like sure, i sure. want to be in comfortable shoes but like when i did the half hour i was like i want to be in a skin tight jumpsuit because i think i look great mm -hmm. this is the longest amount of time i'm ever going to be on tv right. and i want my shit to look popping yeah, exactly. and i'm not going to have anyone tell me i can't do that and i had little tiny heels on like it wasn't like I was in a stripper outfit, mm -hmm. but I'm like, yeah, my entire like my arms were out and people have written on the Internet that I have fat arms. People have written mm -hmm. that I have bad knee, ugly knees. And it's like, I think I'm so fucking hot, though. <laughs> Are so you able I'm to wear whatever you're I able to brush wear. all those types of comments off? Yeah, because I, I feel great about myself mm -hmm. and I don't know how I've gotten to that point, but. I well, you've a, had a lot of success. Well, and I, I just think I feel good in my skin. But these are people on the Internet. So I'm like, this is a loser. Right, of course. If someone of course they if are. someone who was a gatekeeper to my career said I needed to change something, I can very honestly say that would really, really hurt. my. Yeah, feelings. absolutely. Absolutely. But I mean, look, I mean, you're just getting you're, you've gotten a lot of opportunities and people are obviously happy with what you're doing they keep giving you stuff you got to do that commercial i see you all the time oh, on tv yeah. 
And the Blue Diamond Camaro. I also love Blue Diamond almonds. They're so good. They're very. They're the best of almonds. They're and like that. <laughs> that was the nicest I've ever been treated. <laughs> like really? the Blue Diamond Almond Crew <laughs> is top notch. Love them. Did you just do one commercial for them. I I we shot two, but then one got picked up. But uh-huh. then I went and did like a corporate show for them when they were launching the line that I was doing. You should be their spokesperson. I you mean, just- I. Technically, I am right now, but I I feel like maybe our relationship isn't gonna keep going. Really? Not because you should be like the flow of Blue Diamonds. I've had comics be like, now. you don't want to become Flo and I'm like yes I do I think Flo is funny Flo is so happy I think Flo is funny Flo is rich I would gladly be Almond's Flo yeah I like I think those commercials are great it's like it's nice to see a a funny commercial when you're watching TV instead of instead of having to watch garbage it's nice to see something that's funny and when you see Flo you're like I know what I'm gonna get you know like she's like she is um, comfortable like you feel happy when you see her right and I you know I feel like she could probably bust out of it, you know, if she wanted to, like into yeah. other stuff. Yeah. Like, but you know, she, so. yeah, because she was like a groundlings. Is that um, right? Success. Yeah, she was a very, very successful sketch and improviser in Los Angeles. Everyone always says like her and Lisa Kudrow were like the ga- groundlings. Oh darlings. wow! <laughs> wow! And then I think she got that commercial where in LA, like getting a commercial, you're thrilled. Um, right. Because. You know, pays well usually, and it doesn't really like subtract from anything you're doing in your life. It only is good, and it's like minimal work and everything. And um, so, I have tons of friends that are in commercials. I had multiple friends that were in Super Bowl ads, and you're like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" And all you're hoping is, "Let's all become Flow." Yeah, it's so cool. It's really cool to see, um, you know, people that have been like doing these bar shows yeah. and for years and a partner and was in a bubbly ad with michael yeah. Bublé during the super bowl yeah and i was like with a bunch of comics what probably 20 comics watching the super bowl and we all fucking lost our minds yeah. now granted the game was boring yeah, game but was we nice. cheered like our team we were like oh my god like flipped out yeah it's awesome to see a partner i see sean donnelly every yeah. day Alice every day Wetterlin i see is in a bunch um yeah sean donnelly is in a it is in a lot. This guy named Mike, Mike Bridenstine is in a ton. Yeah. Um, and you do get happy. Yeah, it's cool. It's really neat to see people doing that stuff. It's also cool to see people see all these comics pop up on TV shows all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, There's it's so much TV. There that, is. Like, you'll watch a high maintenance episode and you're like, everyone is a New York comedian. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's like, yeah, there's a handful of shows like that, like Crashing and uh, like Corporate, where they just, there's so many comics yeah. in it. It's really, uh, it's neat to see people actually, you know, making it. Yeah. And comics putting other comics in because we're not known as being yeah, taking care nice of or good actors. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the, I think everybody's doing a good job. Yeah, I think it's you really do sort of get to the point where you're like the cr- the cream rises. And I don't know if that's necessarily true, but you're somewhat you, true. You ca- you start to count your friends successes as your successes. Some of it is selfish because you're sure. like, lift me up. But some of it is genuinely like if I if I see my friends doing good, it makes me so happy. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives you hope, too, because you're like they puked in my parents bed right like if they can get a special right anybody can yeah absolutely well thanks so much (laughs) for doing it my sweet green got here yeah your sweet green is here so i think it's time yeah you gotta eat your your salad and really uh, perfect timing and then uh get on stage i love it here too dc is like one of my favorite places dc chicago 
probably my two favorites to perform in. Awesome. Well, I think tonight's going to be a good night. I hope so. All right. For more information about our live shows, check out undergroundcomedydc.com.